Man, it's so good to be here with you guys this morning. Um, and we're really excited to be here, like Josh said, Pastor Josh said. We were, we were at the football game last night. That was really fun. And uh, just coincidence that I happened to be down here on those same days. You know, nobody, nobody plans these things like that, right? You know, so anyway, uh, it's, it's a great privilege for me to be here. My family's here with me, which doesn't always get to happen. So I'm grateful that they get to be here and travel with us um, this time. Um, man, I, I really love coming here. And uh, I've been coming to Lead Church for a long time, since near the very beginning. And uh, it's a great, it's, it's a privilege for me to be here, but it's also, you know, getting to see faces that we recognize is really an honor um, for us. And now that, you know, I lead a nonprofit org, I'm traveling and doing mission work all over the place, you know, we, we continually get to see so many of the people who have been generous and supporting us and praying for us, and we're just so grateful um, for those opportunities. So uh, for those of you who don't know me, I lead a ministry called Project Doxa, and we do work all over the world. We have um, we take teams all over the place. We took a team to Zambia this last year that I'm guessing you heard a little bit about when Pastor Josh and Christian joined us, and um, we had a lot of fun. We're taking teams all over the place next year. If you're interested in going on a trip, we can make that happen for you. <laughs> That's what we do. But, um, you know, I've been on a little bit of a journey. I didn't share a lot of this about, about this in the first service, but I've been on a journey through the last year, really. I, I felt like at the end of last year, about this time, that, that I just was unsettled about some things in my life, and I really was looking ahead and I thought, you know, I feel like the Lord is calling me to some things that I'm not ready to get to. That, that, that even like, here I need you to do this, but I'm like, but Lord, that seems so far away from me right now. And so I've undergone quite a bit of a change and a transformation in my life over the last year. And, and it's been really kind of a cool thing and, and really building towards some stuff. And one of the things that, that's really been something I really wanted to do a long time ago, and it seems strange to even talk about as, a, as like a spiritual discipline, but I really wanted to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. And it's a, it's a crazy thing because it takes a long time and, you know, it takes a week to get to the top of this mountain. It's 20,000 feet tall almost. And, and, and it seems like a kind of an odd thing, but I've just always wanted to do that. It was a thing I wanted to do. And it became kind of emblematic of the way that I had kind of just let some of the dreams in my life go away because it felt like something that was no longer a possibility for me, something I could have done, but now I can't. And I just kind of resigned myself to this, and I felt like the Lord was really saying, like, hey, it's not about this mountain, but there are things in your life I want you to believe me for, to do, to take steps towards. I want you to work towards this situation. It's not gone. And so I went through this kind of transformation that began with, with starting to run, which I never was a runner. I shared a little bit about this when I was here. Maybe some of you guys will remember. I was here first week of May. I was just fresh off my first ever half marathon, and I'm running my first marathon next weekend. And so, like, it's a crazy whole process this, this whole year. You can just pray for me. When you show up next week, have a great service, be in prayer, talk about generosity, fantastic, and somebody pray for Pastor Jimmy, who is in the midst of the marathon, as we speak, at that time. So, uh, but we just really put this in front of us, and I said, you know, Lord, I want this to be something that was emblematic, like, like really just something I could do. And so we're, we're, we're doing this thing, we are calling it uh, Team Killy. Like, I'm, I'm going here, we have a picture of Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, we're going to summit Kilimanjaro in January. It's a huge undertaking, and for me, it's like a big deal to believe the Lord, not just to be able to do this thing, because now it's realistic. I can believe that I can get there, but in January, I just had no idea about that. And it's just been a process through this whole year. And we're using this as a, as a thing because, truthfully, it really isn't about the mountain. It was about the fact that I really feel like God had some ministry things in the future for us I wasn't ready to trust Him for. And so this mountain is 19,341 feet tall. 
And so I'm trying to trust the Lord going into this next year, and this is a talk about generosity, so this will we'll get to there, but we're really trying to trust the Lord for 1900 bucks a month, um, you know, like 10 cents a foot that we're going to climb going into next year so that we can invest another 20K in missions projects. So should the Lord lead you in that direction, I'd be happy to help you find out a way to help invest in those circumstances. You could do that on our website if you want, but uh, that, that's a bit of my commercial for this morning. Um, I like this, though, because we're talking about generosity, and, and I really love what Pastor Josh says, that generosity is one of those things that precedes ministry. No ministry happens without generosity, and that is such an important reality. And not just that, but generosity is good for us. You know, it's one of the methods by which God brings about spiritual maturity in our life. And, uh, and I find that to be a really interesting thing, that sometimes God calls us to do things that, that have a real practical outlet, but really they're just good for your soul. <laughs> they're good for your spirit. And, and I always thought it was weird when your parents come and say, hey, this hurts me more than it hurts you, or, or this is good for you, these kind of things, that kind of conversation you have with your kids. Um, but sometimes I think the Lord says, hey, I need you to give, I need you to be generous because it's good for you. Okay, and so I want to talk about some of the ways in which generosity is good for us here in just a second, and uh, and we'll get to that. So Matthew chapter six, um, I'm just going to read a couple of verses. This is verse 19 through 21. It says, "Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is." there your heart will be also. You know, there are some things in the Bible that we read that just seem backwards, okay? For me, uh, there have been several of those. I remember the first time I read the scripture, it says, he who wants to save his life will lose it, and the one who loses his life for my sake will find it. And I thought, what What does that mean? I don't even understand. This can't be what it says. Or I think about when this scripture says, and he sent, God sent Samuel, and he says, uh, don't weep over Saul, I've rejected him. And I thought, what did Saul do that was so bad? I mean, he was disobedient, that's true, but he was disobedient about wiping everybody out. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And then I read this scripture in the New Testament. It said, to the one who has, more will be given. And to the one who, has, who, who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away. And I thought, I found a typo. This can't possibly be right. I think my Bible is misprinted. Do I have a wrong copy? And I literally looked at another Bible to make sure like I didn't have a typo copy. Because how is it possible that the one who has will get more and the one who doesn't have will lose even what he has? But you know that this is true. The person with wisdom seeks wisdom and gets more wisdom and therefore seeks more wisdom. The person with no wisdom doesn't know to seek wisdom and doesn't get any more wisdom and wastes the wisdom that they have. And this is just kind of how life kind of happens. And this is one of those scriptures. I remember the first time I read it. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I thought, that's backwards, isn't it? Because the culture told me that where my heart is, my treasure will go. That we're supposed to be people who follow our heart. But the Bible doesn't give us that advice. The Bible says our treasure will precede our heart. And this is really challenging for us because the, the culture tells you that your heart is some sort of mystical external force that just leads you into stuff. And when you watch a movie, it says, oh, I fell in love with this person or that person and fell out of love and this kind of thing because my heart wants what it wants. You know what the Bible says in Jeremiah? It says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? You know, the simple truth is this. It's hard, right? But no one has ever lied to you more than you have, right? Our capacity for self-deception is profound, 
Yes, I tell myself all kinds of lies. I don't want to, but that's what happens because my heart is sometimes untrustworthy. Okay, um, Let me use marriage as a metaphor to explain what I mean. There are things I do because I love my wife, but there are things I also do because I want to love my wife. Okay, And the steps that we take help us to do these things. If we just follow our heart, we will fall into relationships and out of them, and into churches and out of them, and into the faith and out of it. But the choices that we make about who we are, these things put us in a good place, okay? My commitment to my wife is more important than my emotions or my happiness, all right? My emotions might lead me into a bad place, but my commitment won't, okay? Um, We're in the practice of keeping our options closed, all right, we do things today, we make decisions today that prevent us from being able to make bad decisions tomorrow. And this is so important, right? If you ever put yourself in a situation where that it's just your willpower versus your emotions, you're probably already in trouble. You make decisions today that prevent those kind of decisions from happening in the future, right? So when I started running, I got into all these conversations with people about how you go about this and what their plans were. And some people would tell me, my plan's to get in shape, and, and I really want to lose weight, and I want to start to do this. And I was like, so what's your plan? And they're like, well, tomorrow I'm going to wake up and just kind of see how I feel. And I'm like, you are planning to fail, <laughs> okay? Because this is what I've learned, right? I've met lots of runners and lots of non-runners. And I've never met anybody who woke up feeling like excited about going for a run, okay? What I met was people who were like super excited about their comfy bed, you know? Um, Nobody goes out and makes a brutal cold run in the morning in the cold. Not that you have super cold in Texas, but you have plenty of heat. Pastor Josh and I have been talking through this stuff. We've run in the cold. We've run in the heat. This is part of the deal, you know? But if you don't make that decision beforehand, you will not make the decision, So in my life, I set an alarm, I lay out my clothes, and then I get myself into bed as early as I can. And this is why, okay? Because talk is cheap, my bed is comfy, and I don't trust 4.30 a.m. Jimmy to make plans consistent and decisions consistent with my long-term goals. Because me in the morning wants to stay in bed. And so I have to make decisions beforehand that, no, tomorrow this is what I'm going to do because my commitment and my goal and these things, it it, it matters more than how I'm going to feel in the morning. I know I'm not going to like it in the morning. That part I already know, okay? And one of the cool parts about running through these things, and not everybody needs to run, whatever, but, but for me it's been a cool part is that I start running and I still don't like it. <laughs> and I know I don't like it, so I start that first mile. I was like, oh, yeah, I recognize this feeling. I know who you are, but you're going to go away in it a little bit because I'm going to work through that. And I'm going to get my way on the other side of it, right? What does all this have to do with the topic of generosity? I'm so glad you asked, <laughs> Right? Your passions and your feelings, your emotions, your choices, they're going to follow your investment. And one of the ways that God brings about good things in our life is he calls us to do something that's good for us. And generosity is good for us, right? The first thing I did when I made a decision to get in shape was I paid the entrance fee to sign myself up for a half marathon, having not run one mile. And you would say, well, that's a really stupid investment. And kind of, it is, okay? But in another sense, it wasn't a stupid investment. It was like the best $150 I spent this year because it put me in a spot that I would then follow up my investment with my actions and my choices, all right? Now listen, I knew if I put my money out there, I would train in such a way as to not waste my money. And I would do that, one, because I'm kind of cheap and I don't want to waste my money. And for another reason, my wife doesn't want me to waste my money. And so there, are, there now are motivations to get this done. I want to take it... 
and, and really push through and get there. And so what I want to do for the time that we have this morning is I want to talk about the ways in which generosity changes us, the ways in which generosity shapes our life. And the first thing I would tell you about these things, okay, five points this morning. The first one is this, generosity changes the lives of the less fortunate. Now, I'm going to spend most of my time talking about how generosity changes us, but you should know that for every gift that you make, every investment of your life and your resources, someone is receiving that, and many of them, this is the only plan by which they will ever receive it, okay? There's no mechanism of safety net, safety net for many, many people in the world today. The safety net is the compassion and generosity of the Christian believers. That's it. I have been to places, and I don't want to drop this on anybody as like a guilt bomb, okay, because I traveled to some really tough places, and I've been in tough places in tough times. I tell you, man, but you don't get to see like I see looking into the eyes of people and the gratitude with which they respond to, thank you so much for being here. In 2015, we started rebuilding Nepal after massive earthquakes that had taken place there. I was on the ground 20 days after the first earthquake, and the, the ground was still shaking at nighttime. We were having aftershocks all the time. We were sleeping on the top of a hotel because we didn't want to be under it if the hotel came down. <laughs> all right? And I remember being in my bed and feeling the bed go, and start scooting across the room. And I was like, hey, this is not ideal. And then everyone would run outside. Okay? And we would go to all of these places, and what I saw was, Believers and believers and believers and believers and believers investing in the life of a Hindu country. And I looked around, and I was like, where are the Hindu charities? They don't exist, guys. Where are these other people? They don't exist. The plan for alleviating suffering in the world right now is the generosity of believers. That's it. That's the single best plan. And we can spend all kinds of time talking about that. I don't want to do that this morning, but I'm just telling you, man, that's just the plan. So when you give, it changes the lives of the less fortunate. And whether you invest through Project OXA, which we would love and would be very grateful for, or whether you invest through some other entity or, or a particular thing, you have to be invested in the lives of the global poor. You just do. It's part of our responsibility. And part of the reason it's our responsibility is we are called to this life of sacrifice and what exactly is sacrifice in each person's life? That kind of varies, but that gets me to point number two, and that generosity offers us the gift of perspective. It's good for us to see these things, okay? You know, we rarely know what we don't know. You know, we only know what we know, and or sometimes we have these blind spots we don't know. I have these friends from, from New York City, and they've been talking about how they've recently discovered barbecue. Right? No, seriously. They're writing articles about it, and they're like, Brooklyn barbecue is like the best thing in the world. And I was like, have you ever been to Texas? You know? Like, have you ever, like, they show you pictures of this stuff, and you're like, that's not barbecue. What are you guys doing? <laughs> you know? And, and you want to say to them, hey, if you just get out of this little place where you are, you could see that, that there's some other stuff. You know, there was an article that was written a couple years ago about food also in New York. They had just discovered dinner rolls. They're like, dinner rolls is like the best thing. Here it is. They only, we only only really get it here. I was like, only get it here. Like the rest of the country exists. You've just never been there. I have a friend who was doing her PhD work in San Francisco. She'd never been out of the city. She had never seen a live chicken. Okay? So it changed our perspective because the truth of the matter is, like, hey, it's a big, vast country. We just did a project where we drove my buddy on a motorcycle and me and the support vehicle behind him from Boston to San Francisco. We crossed the country to raise money for our project in India and Nepal, and that was really an exciting thing. But the first thing you learn about it is the United States is vast, man. It takes 
so long to drive all the way across the country. And there's all these different perspectives and all these different things. And when you travel, when you see these things, what you understand is, hey, there are a lot of people that live in a very different way than me. And for many American believers, they haven't really ever contemplated, where do I really fit in the whole global scheme? You know? We have a real problem sometimes understanding the level of our abundance in the United States, okay? If your family earned 17K this year, you're in the top 10% in the world, okay? If your family earned 47K this year, you're in the top 1% of the world. That's a stunning number that puts you below the poverty line in many places in the United States, and yet you're still in the top 1%, right? During the last NBA contract negotiations, they were fighting over $2 billion and over how they split that up to 1% of it. And, and we were looking and we we're saying, well, the, the billionaire owners are fighting with the millionaire basketball players. And what's the deal? They should just shut up and play. Figure it out. You know, 1% of $2 billion is a lot of money split between a lot of guys. But they, for most of us who are thousandaires, arguing about million and billionaires is kind of a crazy thing. But the rest of the world looks at us and they're like, hey, you crazy rich NBA players. Middle class America, that's where we are, Okay. North America has 5% of the population, 27% of the wealth. Africa has 11% of the population, less than 1% of the wealth in the country. North Americans spend 20 cents a day on cosmetics, 50 cents a day on jewelry, $6 a day on gambling. More than half of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. Okay, this is the perspective of the world that we live in. This isn't guilt. This is perspective. Okay? We should live with a level of gratitude for what the Lord has given us. And we should live with a level of generosity in part because of what God has done, the blessings God has given us, which leads me to my third point here, and that is generosity creates community. It creates community. It puts us in a situation where we see our blessing as a blessing for others, not just for us. God blessed me so that, right, so that I can be a blessing to some other people. One of the most common prayer requests that I received in my pastoral life was, I'm lonely. You know, and for many people, a little less, like a little less selfishness, a greater degree of generosity would help connect them with other people. Okay, you would see these things happening, right? Selfishness isolates us, and isolation leads to greater levels of selfishness. It's that same vicious cycle. Generosity connects us, and deeper connection leads to greater levels of generosity. It's just the way the world works. Okay, um, living with this kingdom generosity, it's a statement that God's blessings in my life are community property. The way he's blessed me is for us, okay? I don't know if you know this, right? But my gifts and my talents, they're not for me. They're for you. And your gifts, your talents, your resources, they're not for you. They're for me. And if I withhold and you withhold or one of us does this thing, then the family is broken, okay? And God's plan to meet the needs that we have among our church community, among the broader Christian community, it becomes broken, not because there's not needs, but because we're selfish. And generosity creates community. It's good for us to do this. I'm so committed to this idea that I refuse to let anybody join any of my missions teams who won't fundraise. And, and there are lots of people who want to go on our trips, and they have the money to go, so they can just pay for the trip. And I tell them, listen, you can't just pay for your trip. You still have to ask other people to invest in your trip, even if you can afford it. And they say, but I don't understand why. And I said, look, I just don't have any use for people on the field who won't share the mission with other people and invite them into a circumstance. You know there are people in your church People in your community that may never be able to go, but this is their only avenue to participate. They can be generous in their circumstance. They can sacrifice, and then it becomes our project, not my project. Okay, uh, I never get to say, look what I did. 
And I never did anything that didn't happen as a result of the sacrifice of other people. What Pastor Josh said earlier about, about generosity preceding ministry, there's no ministry without generosity. And I don't love this part of my life, okay? In some ways, it's one of the most frustrating things, but I can't do any of the things I do without the generosity of others. And that puts me in a place of humility with them, and it helps to work out the natural arrogance in my life. I don't love that stuff in my life sometimes, but it's good for me. It's good for me. Because some of us need to join a mission team just because we need the experience of asking somebody else for their help. It's good for you. Because when you have a problem in your marriage, you're going to have to ask somebody for help. When you are struggling to memorize the scripture, you need to ask somebody for help. If you stand up and say, I'm a self-made person, look what I did in this situation, you're going to have some real trouble in your faith. Okay. The fourth point here about generosity is that generosity gives us an opportunity to confront our fears. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not really like a scaredy guy. I don't really like that stuff. I don't love Halloween. It's not my favorite thing. I don't go to like haunted houses and these things. Some people love that. They like the idea of being afraid. I don't love it. But in my life, there's like scary stuff over here. And then there's like financial fear and it just terrifies me. <laughs> okay. And I don't love that part of that. In fact, the biggest single challenge of planting a church that I didn't anticipate, I knew there would be challenges. I knew there would be some difficulties when we started the ministry and started the church. I did not know that my family's financial margin would be so low that I would be constantly worrying, like, Lord, where's the next bit coming from? And that stress, man, that wore on me like crazy. Part of my running adventure now is just trying to, like, calm myself down from two decades of that, okay? And that stress was really tough. And so when you're in a person, and you're a person who's, who struggled financially, you know, there's a stress level that comes with that, and there's a fear that comes with that, and so being challenged towards generosity while you're struggling seems like the most terrifying, counterintuitive thing that is possible in your life, but guys, I'm telling you, there's a unique opportunity to experience the provision of God when you are sacrificially generous, and you can't afford it. And afford, what does afford mean anyways? I mean, really, like when we think about some of this stuff, there's a sacrifice about this, um, that is just so good for us. We just want to live with a certain level. I say we, me, I want to live with a level of financial independence. But the truth of the matter is, what I'm doing is I'm trying to hide behind the, the, the fake safety of my money. Money creates a, an illusion of safety, but safety's not real, okay? It's like seatbelts on an airplane. They're not there to make you safe. They're make you there to feel safe. You understand the difference, Right? Some of us use our money to make us feel safe, but that's a false sense of security. When someone came to Bill Gates and they said, how much money did you have to have before you finally felt safe? He said, I don't know yet. The guy has literally hundreds of billions of dollars. I don't know yet. Okay? That's crazy. And so many of us are saying, yeah, but like we were having this little bit of struggle, but if we just get to here, then I'll feel better and it'll be fine, and then I'll be more generous. Guys, it won't happen in your life. I mean, it might happen. You might be the first one, okay, or the second one, but it's not a lot of people that get in this situation. Most of us, we even find ourselves in that spot because we are generous when we're having some difficulty in our life, okay? It is so good. It's just so good for us to look our fears in the face and do it anyways, okay? When we train our missionaries every summer, when Pastor Josh and I spend time training ORU mission students, what we tell them is, hey, we're going to take you to this challenge course. It's okay to be afraid. We want you to do it anyway. All right? Um, when we live with generosity anyway, we're declaring that our God is bigger than our fears. And we're getting an opportunity to see his provision in a way we wouldn't have had 
otherwise. And I don't love that all the time. It's not my favorite thing to be in a spot where I'm like, oh, Lord, please provide. I would love to have electricity in my house. Like, I don't want to be in that spot every day. But there's a part of that situation that you, you move from, like, having theories about God to knowing God. Because you see him show up in these kind of ways because you have confronted your fears. And some of those fears later on won't be financial fears. They'll be different kind of fears. They'll be, I went to the doctor, got a bad report fears. They'll be, my kid doesn't seem to be wanting to follow Jesus fears. There will be other kind of fears you will need to be willing to face. And this gives you a safer opportunity to face that. Okay? Um, and my fifth point here this morning is generosity shifts our allegiance to the eternal. And this is a big deal. I think this is probably the most important thing for us um, is when we take our treasure and we say, all right, I'm putting it here, we're staking ourselves down to the eternal realities, and that's such a big, big deal for us. Um, I don't like moving. I don't know about you guys. Some people like moving. I don't understand those people, you know, but for me, it's like, oh, man, I don't like moving. I so don't like moving, I don't even have a truck because I don't want to be asked to help move. And so, you know... But, but some people, yeah, some of you, got, some of you understand. And, and, and yet some people are like, oh, we just move and whatever. And in the process of moving, there's a transition from like my home was here and now my home will soon be over here. And somewhere in the process of this stretched out move, some of your stuff is in one place, some of your stuff is in another, and you're kind of stuck in limbo in between. That's the perfect metaphor for your life. Right now, you're living in a world that you will not live in forever. Like, our reality as believers is, is we are going to be in an eternal home in heaven with the Lord. When he says your treasure is in heaven where rust and moth and thieves can't get to it in this situation, he's saying you're putting it in the new home. And you know there will be a part, there will be a moment in your life when after you move, you look back at the old place, maybe you even drive by your old house where you used to live, and it's sentimental to you. You know that you used to live there, but you don't live there anymore, Okay. It's an empty place, and we're in this transition period, and some of us get strung out for so long, and, and it's like, oh, we got a little bit of our life here and a little bit of our life here, and we're trying to just trying to push it all the way over here, and generosity for us says, I'm taking up residence in eternity. I'm moving here. It's not temporary. I'm moving here. I'm moving my life into this situation, and it seems just so crazy to some people, okay? Because if your perspective is in this life only, how can you possibly understand this idea of I'm going to sacrifice everything for the eternal, eternal reality? But that's where the challenge is. Because here, really, there are only two options, right? Either the gospel is true or the gospel is not true. If the gospel is true, there's an eternal reality waiting for us with Jesus, prepared for us. I have gone to prepare a place for you. You know, and we put our treasures in this spot, trusting that the Lord is caring for that and that our life is moving in that direction. But if the gospel is not true, what does Paul say? He says, we among all the people should be the most pitied. Right. You know, and they're really, and I don't know how else to say this, there's just kind of no room for the halfway. The halfway commitment doesn't make any sense because if you believe in an eternal reality, you need to live as though you believe in an eternal reality. And that's part of why we're here. We come every week, we worship, we pray, we trust the Lord because we want to turn our eyes to the Lord. And so easy for us to get distracted and looking only at the needs that we have around us right now and stop and realize like, hey, turn your eyes to the Lord. It's what we want, but the process by which we do that is we live with generosity. It turns our eyes towards the Lord. There's a great many things in Scripture that God calls us to that only makes sense in light of a life staked on the eternal. You know, so many things. 
Like, you're not getting up early in the morning to pull trailers and unload things and set up and tear down and go through this whole situation if you don't believe there's an eternal reality, okay? But when your alarm goes off on the Sunday morning and you get up and you say, I'm coming to serve, man. I'm coming to do this. I don't necessarily want to every week, right? But I'm here. I'm doing this thing because what am I doing? My generosity. I'm putting my treasure in a different place. I'm relocating my treasure from my comfy bed to the eternity, right? And you make this choice over and over and over again. And I think for many of us, we kind of drift in our faith sometimes, and what we really need to do is we need to be called to refocus on eternity. And sometimes the single step you can take is say, hey, what is something I can invest in that's kingdom? That's like big picture, that's eternal, that's kingdom, that will refocus me, you know? And it seems so counterintuitive because you're like wishy-washy. On this. No, I'm going to dig in. I'm going to put my money here. I'm going to invest my time here. I'm going to get up earlier this morning, and for the next week, I'm going to pray for this ministry. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to put myself out there, and that will refocus me, and it will. And there's a lot of stuff, guys, and when you do this, it just won't make sense to the people around you, even to other believers at times. You know, you come and you say, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to sell this thing, and I'm going to invest it in the kingdom. And people say, what are you doing? <laughs> That's crazy, right? And you know, like you get up, even I just used the illustration, you get up and come and help with set up and tear down, and they're like, why are you doing that? There are lots of churches, you don't have to do that. <laughs> you know, can't you just like find a, like a more convenient way to follow Jesus? You know? But the act of doing the thing is what gets you to what you were after, in the first place, you wanted this other level of commitment, this relationship with God that is more real. The way you get there is you continue to invest. You continue to invest. And people on the outside won't understand this situation. I got to tell you guys, when I went on my first mission trip, people were all kinds of excited. You know, they were like, this is cool, man. It's like kind of a neat thing for like a young person to go and see the world. So then I went on another trip and they're like, all right, I see, I see what you're doing there. And then I went on another trip and they're like, are we going to have to talk about this again? And then I went on another trip and they said, hey, can you stop asking us for money? And then I went on another and another and another. And I didn't set out to be this guy, but I kept seeing needs and we just kept going. And we kept saying, hey, we're going to take these people and we're going to go over here. And then these people over here said, hey, we've got this need. Can you bring a team? And I was like, yeah, I'll find you people. And the next thing you know, you become like the missions guy. You know, it never was my plan. That was 125 trips ago, all right? And we just kept going and just kept going. And as the Lord kept opening doors, we just kept going, and it's changed my life. And to be honest with you guys, I don't know that I'm a real faithful, Christ-following person as an adult right now without it. Maybe so. But I tell you what, like, you continue to look in the eyes of hurting people who have real needs, and you live with a level of generosity towards them, and you keep pushing people towards that, and keep having awkward fundraising conversations in front of all your friends, right, over and over and over again. You keep doing these things, and it changes who you are, okay? And you start to understand things differently. You start to live with a different perspective, and someone says, you're going to take a trip to Lebanon. Yeah, we're going to Lebanon. There are refugees. They don't know Jesus. We're going to go play basketball with them and teach them the gospel, and they're like, that's crazy. Yeah, but we're doing it anyways, and we just keep going and just keep going. And that's the challenge that's in front of us, right? I had a friend a, week, a year ago this week who lost his life trying to share the gospel with a tribe that wasn't yet receptive. It was big news around the globe, and maybe you heard about it here as a friend of Josh's also. 
And it was a big deal. And everyone came out in the woodwork all the time, like critiquing him and all this stuff. And they just couldn't get the idea that he was committed enough that he would put his life in eternity. And if it went bad, it went bad for the sake of a chance to share the gospel. Eternity was that real. Now listen, logically, if you believe in an eternal reality in gospel, it makes perfect sense. It doesn't make even like, like there's no, it's like bulletproof logic. But if you're questioning eternity and you're wondering about all this kind of stuff, then it's very easy to criticize these people, okay? But this is the challenge that God has put in front of us. We want this deep relationship with Jesus. We want to know these things. We want to feel it and sense it and know that God is with us in this stuff. And the process by which we do that is living with somewhat greater levels of generosity. And as our guys come back up here, I'm going to pray here in just a second. (laughs) What I really want to challenge you with this morning is to let the Lord speak to your heart about new and different ways and and greater ways you can say, I'm going to take my life and I'm going to invest it in your kingdom. Whether that means leading a small group or planting a church someday or joining a worship team or giving to missions projects or giving to multiple projects or the Christmas miracle offering that's coming or whatever it is that is in this situation that's in front of you where you say, all right, Lord, my life is in your hands. My resources are yours. All that I have came from you. You take what you want. You call me to what you want. And for me, it's the craziest thing, you guys. If, you had, if I had told you last year that I was going to run, you'd have said I, that was crazy. If I told you I'm going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro as a method of raising funds for missionaries, it would have been the most crazy, absurd thing in my life. But I remember just saying, all right, Lord, you call me, I'll answer. You lead me, we'll follow. I want to take my life and I want to invest it in your kingdom. And that's the challenge we have for each of us today, Lord. So let's take a minute. We're just going to pray. We're going to let the Lord speak to you, and then we're going to respond. Father, Lord, we trust that your ability to speak is even better than our ability to hear. You, you have a plan for each one of us, and you call us to things, Lord, that sometimes we understand and sometimes just seem so silly. But this much is true. We know we want to follow you. We don't want to be wishy-washy. We don't want to be hesitant. We don't like those things. We don't like laying awake at night with regrets about what we could have done for your kingdom. So Lord, this isn't guilt. We don't want guilt. But God, I just pray that you would call each one of us to a deeper level of investment in your kingdom. More energy, more time, more money, more of the resources that you provided for us, taken and given back to you reestablish our residency in eternity. God, I just thank you for the many challenging ways you've called me and the many challenging ways you've called the people here. We just welcome your call. We pray, God, that you would give us the grace and the boldness to be faithful to answer your call and to move our lives into a greater commitment to, to, to your gospel. I just give you praise.